Welcome to Stat Stories. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back and we're going to talk a little more current events than we normally do because, according to the internet, the Oklahoma City Thunder choked away the Western Conference Finals. So now we have to discuss, did they choke? What is choking? All things choke today in Episode 9. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. This is Stat Stories, Episode 9, Choked. So it was the greatest upset that wasn't. The Thunder had the Warriors, the 73-win team, on the ropes. And then, as we all know, the Warriors came storming back thanks to their barrage of threes and won the series. And of course, the internet did as the internet does. And everyone who has any type of platform was screaming to the mountains that the Thunder choked. The Thunder choked away this series and so Justin and I got to talking a little bit offline and that's what led to this topic is you know did did they really choke did the the thunder can you choke to a 73 win team and what exactly is choking so that's why we're going to spend this entire podcast just talking about choking and we might get a few uh, a few people who find this through a google search that are expecting some different topics, but hey, maybe we'll get some new fans who want to, you know, hear about this kind of choking. So, well, okay, we're gonna take some tangents probably during this podcast, but that's not one we're going to take. Well, if it builds us a new audience, I'm all, I'm fine for everyone from all walks of life becoming Stat Stories fans. I mean, so welcome people who are into things that I may not be into. But before we get too far down that rabbit hole, Justin. Did the Thunder choke? What are your thoughts on the series and how it all went down and how should this Thunder team be remembered? First of all, I am not a fan of the word choke. I think many things in life that we attribute to choking or clutch or whatever you want to call it is simply random variation. It's just, you know, every day is not the same in life. Your performance is going to vary from day to day. And so especially in a short series, it, that, that's, I don't like the word choke. Because people were saying early in the series, you know, oh, the Warriors are choking, Steph is choking. And really, you're talking about it was a four-game sample, really. So it, it's, it's kind of silly. Anyway, um, I mean, you touched on this earlier. So, yes, Oklahoma City was up 3-1. to one, But you're talking about a 73-win team, most wins in NBA history, 18 more than the, than the Thunder won. Uh, two of the last three games are at home for the Warriors. And so I, I don't think that it was by any means settled at that point. I mean, the Thunder should have been considered the favorite at that point because obviously they win one game and, and they're through. But I, I don't really feel like it was a choke job. How about you? Yeah, like you, you cannot choke when you lose to what could go down as the best team in NBA history. Like that's impossible. You by the very definition you you cannot you cannot choke to them. Um, there's no shame in falling to one of the most explosive offenses ever. But so and you said and I, I tend to agree with you when you say that most of what we call choking is just the random variation. But then the argument against that is that well the Thunder randomly variated the, the exact same way for 
three games in a row, three of the most important games of the series and of, you know, franchise history outside of their, their finals run a few years back. They should have never been there in the first place. I think I, in order to choke to me, you have to originally be favored or it has to be such a huge disparity between the, the, the two forces at play that one of them is so widely expected to win that whenever they don't, that's when it's considered choking. Um, yeah, so to me, a lot of it is is present-day internet speak, you know, where everything has to be in extremes of black and white. And so when a team loses a series, every time it's it's choking. It It can't just be that, oh, a team played better and they lost, or you gave your best effort, which the Thunder did. The Thunder gave a hell of an effort, gave the Warriors the biggest challenge they've seen in the last two years. Good job, good effort. Yeah, they did, and then but everyone because it's the internet and the extremes is what gets the clicks. That's why just going through yesterday, all you see is yes, the war, the Thunder choked this away, the Thunder chokers, and then even people who write about it saying that they're trying to make the argument that they didn't choke. Kind of like I mean, I'm a little guilty of that with our blog post yesterday, trying to argue that they didn't choke, but still saying yes, they. They came up very short, and they had, you know, they had their foot on the Warriors' throat and just left them a tiny bit of wiggle room, and and they got out. So yeah, the Thunder, they didn't come through. They didn't, they didn't close them out when they had ample opportunity. But just saying that every time a team loses or every time someone doesn't be up to par, all of a sudden you're saying that that's choking, that it's some kind of psychological trauma that they've inflicted on themselves. I mean, we're just, we're taking things way too far. And I think I'm preaching to the choir there a little bit to saying that people, people go a little overboard with their reactions. Yeah. No, I mean like, so what happened in this series was the script was basically flipped, right? Because after four games, everybody's saying the Warriors are choking. Steph is choking. Something's wrong with Steph. I don't think it's his injury. He's missing free throws. He's doing things he normally doesn't do. Something's off with, with Steph, his confidence, whatever. And then, of course, Steph comes back in the last two and a half games. He's really, really good. And then it's like, I don't think something just happened with Steph where all of a sudden he got his confidence back. I just think he had, he had some bad luck for a while there. He had some subpar performances. And then he, he reverted back to his mean, which is the best player in basketball right now. Um, and, you know, one of the things about the series that I found really odd was, you know, Steph was getting a lot of, a lot of crap in the first four games, four and a half games, really. For his play, Durant and Westbrook were terrible from the field. Just terrible. And they never got criticized, especially early in the series, because the Thunder were winning. But if you look at their shooting percentages, they were bad. And, you know, I, I, it's like if you win and you don't play that well, it's okay. If you don't play that well and the lose, well, you're a bum and you're a choker. It's, to me, it's, it's really a fine line there. Yeah, because I think even in game one, when the, the, the when the, the Thunder won, right? They won game one, right? In Golden yes. State? Yeah, they won game one. And Durant Durant did not shoot well at all. and uh, But it didn't matter because they won, like as is all things, like you said. But, yeah, I think towards the end, once they started losing, that's when Barkley or Shaq, I forget whoever it was, started accusing Durant of playing hero ball, which is very, very accurate criticism. Durant took some just baffling shots, like transition threes and just turnarounds of people in his face, you know, with 15, 16 left on the clock, just 
they they started pressing and chunking the ball up and again it kind of sounds like i'm making the argument that they did choke under pressure but i just think that like you said that's part of what happens in basketball and they put up one hell of a fight and they came just a little bit short they came you know, a little I almost bit short. wonder i wonder if durant had some rabbit ears after game six because he came out in game seven and what do you t- i think he was 10 for 19 he only took 19 shots after taking 30 something yeah he took 19 in, in the first six. half the first half of the game before and that was a that was a record i believe right so i almost think he went too far the other way in that he was being too passive in fact when the thunder made the run at the end of the game um and durant scored what was it seven straight points i was kind of thinking well this is what he should have been doing all game he should have been more aggressive like this instead of being so passive early in the game so i don't there's like sort of a once again, there's a fine line there between playing hero ball and then being overly passive. I don't know. Yeah, and you always hear the players whenever they're asked in their in the press conferences or in the media scrums, like, did you hear what Shaq said about you playing hero ball? And every time they say, nah, I don't listen to that. I don't, I don't pay attention to any of that. They're lying. Every single one of them is lying because they do pay attention to it. Because I remember with the Rockets every time we'd get on the bus after a game to go back to the airport or the hotel or whatever, they would, they all had their phones up and they would be talking about it. Did you hear what Shaq said about you? Did you hear what so-and-so said about you? And then they would say the things that they really feel about what Shaq or Barkley had said. And then the next morning when the media would ask them about it, they're like, nah, I didn't hear that. Nah, I don't pay attention to that. So they do, they listen to it. Some are obviously more sensitive than others but yeah they do pay attention to that and it does it does affect things and their coaches pay attention and i'm sure that durant wasn't just hearing things on tv from ex-players you know his hopefully billy donovan or westbrook whoever else was talking to him about as well but yeah he did seem to overcompensate a little bit and the thing that bothered me the most though and um you you and i discussed this before was Towards the end of the game, of Game 7, the Thunder just gave up. They just they just gave up. And yeah, the game was practically out of reach when they were up 7 with 30 seconds to go or whatever. But play through, you know. Yeah, Keep, why not foul? I mean, just, just you know, at least Just foul. try. You don't know. Jack, yeah, you don't know. And, you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Why just give up? You don't know. Because um, we'll get into what it means to actually choke because when i think of when i think of choke the in basketball the first thing that comes to my mind is nick anderson of the magic missing those four free throws in a row in game one that uh would have clinched the game against the rockets and then um you know the rockets tied it and went to overtime and won and swept the series that that could happen anderson but if Anderson makes those, it's like okay, so maybe they lose four to one instead of four four nothing. I mean, it's you know. yeah, but still, it just shows you never know what's going to happen. So foul Steph, the odds of Steph missing oh yeah yeah multiples right. in a row are so small. But yeah, you could just see by the body language they they were defeated. They they gave up. So if you're going to criticize the Thunder for anything, I'd criticize them for that and just putting their tails between their legs at the end of the at the end of the game instead of fighting through even if it's in a worthless you know irrelevant 30 seconds still don't do that don't 
Don't just give up. I think it was more up. than 30. I think Barnes got the rebound with like 43 seconds left or something like that. So they, they just, they let so much time go to waste. And yeah, like you said, a comeback, extremely unlikely. But even if it's a one in a thousand chance... Yeah, it's the it's game seven of the conference finals. So, you know, you you, you just, keep you going do everything you can. You do yeah. everything you can. You, you you don't want the game to end. You've been playing since late October for this. Don't just stop now. Yeah. And then I remember hearing arguments on the radio yesterday about the I don't know if it was the Thunder or Thunder fans or just people that bitch for a living because that's what people do. Just saying that Steph hitting that final three with the the clock expiring was rubbing it in their face or he was running the score up and i was like shut up he no one was guarding him first of all they just stopped they just let him run around and the shot clock shot clock was almost yeah. had almost run out i believe yeah what's he going to do that's what he does and so ev- everyone in sports is just a is such a damn big baby and i get so tired of it that they're whining one way or another that everything's an extreme and the Thunder did not choke. They did not choke. They may they may have disappointed me at the end with their with their lack of effort, but they lost to a seventy three win team. You cannot choke when you lose to a seventy three win team. Even if even if it was worse losses than what they they ended up being in those final three games, saying that that they choked the series away is just a little extreme. So. Unless you have anything else you'd like to say about that that series, let's. If the Thunder didn't choke, well, then what is choking? How do you how do you actually quantify a a choke in sports? I don't I don't I don't I don't know I don't do that. Like I, I've said, I, I don't like the term choke. I don't like the term clutch. It, a lot of it to me is just random variation. So you're you're not going to get a definition of it from me. Well, but do, I, I do sort of. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, well, if there. If you don't think that if you don't think there's a choke and you don't think do you think that it's random variation or clutch for the most part I, I, what I'm saying is I, I, we can, how can we identify what is what is a player sort of going in the tank mentally physically whatever and what is it just you know stuff happens how can you yeah. how can you separate those okay yeah I think that's a good that's a good argument because there are certain players who we've seen that they say have that clutch gene, which is something that's not really quantifiable, but you can look at stats, you know, of a player in close games with less than two minutes to go or players attempting game winning or game tying shots and see that some players definitely have more of a knack for it than others. But then at the same time, sometimes ball go in, sometimes ball go out, you know, that you've, that's just the way sports is. And so it's really hard to, get into somebody's mind and say that this person had a mental breakdown or choked in the clutch or that shot just didn't go in or those few shots just didn't go in so how do you how do you approach that argument by the way so we keep saying clutch do you know which player was nicknamed mr clutch uh mr clutch yes hold on i'm gonna kill myself i should know this right you, you should, but you probably should. Wait, are we talking about basketball? Basketball player? <laughs> yes, we're talking about basketball. This is a podcast about basketball. Uh, my first thought was Reggie Jackson. I was like, that's Mr. October. That's Mr. That's, October, yeah. That's not the same thing. And Jeter's Mr. November. Mr. Clutch. Give me a hint. Lakers. Jerry West. Yes, Jerry West. Okay, so Jerry West. 
He's third all-time in the finals, averaging 30.5 points per, points per game in the finals. He had 10 games in the finals where he scored at least 40 points. That's four more than any other player, four more than Jordan. You know Jerry West's record in the finals? I'm guessing it's going to be deceitfully or uh, deceptively low. One and eight. And he lost his his first seven. So is it kind of ironic that the guy who who obtained the nickname Mr. Clutch, his teams were one and eight overall in the finals, and in his first seven finals appearances, he lost? I'm I'm not saying we should hold that against him because they kept going up against Russell and the Celtics. And, you know, that's... As with most of the teams in that area, the era, they came out in the wrong end. But I just think it's kind of funny. They didn't have Twitter back then. If they had Twitter back then, Jerry West would have been Mr. Choke. And everyone would have been talking about he's a bum. And Skip Bayless would have been going on about he just, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have heart, which is Skip Bayless's argument for everything. He just, he doesn't want it enough. So back then, maybe they actually used numbers and statistics to figure out their nicknames. We don't do that nowadays. Well, yeah, and then so actually, okay, saying Skip Bayless brings up another player I want to talk about, and that LeBron. would be the exactly, exactly, because I think <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Mr. Mr. Bayless said at one point that LeBron just did not have the clutch gene or something yeah. like that. Um, he said a lot of and, stupid things. Exactly. So he, LeBron, this will be his. Um, so this this will be LeBron's seventh appearance in the finals. So. And it's sixth in a row, which is something no other player has done since like the early 60s with the Celtics, which is incredible. Um, but, of course, his teams are only two and four, which, of course, for Skip is this big ammunition uh, that he uses to, to uh, fire against LeBron. But, uh, you know, I was looking back at, at who LeBron James has been matched up against with in the finals, and I have a hard time finding any that I would say his team just absolutely choked away. So go back to 2007, the first year he makes the finals with Cleveland and they played the Spurs. I mean, that, that was just a case where Cleveland was clearly overmatched. And they got swept, of course. But that, that's can you hold that one against LeBron? I mean, seriously, he was early 20s. I think the Cavs were 50-32, and 32, but they had the best record in the Eastern Conference because the Eastern Conference was terrible that year. And, of course, the Spurs are the Spurs. And, you know, so... I don't think you can fault him for that loss. And he hit that one, that playoff run was when he hit that half-court buzzer beater to win that game against the Celtics, I think it was. I may be wrong about that. But, yeah, you can't call out someone for not being clutch when they hit a half-court game winner. That's that's kind of the most clutch thing you can do, right? That's luck. That's luck. No. All right. We're switching gears. We're talking about the half-court shot. Is it skill or is it luck? Well, but let, before we start down that road, <laughs> no. let's, let's, keep, let's keep going through LeBron's opponents in the finals. All right, fine. If you want to talk about half-court shots, that, that, that's No, that is skill. No, that is skill. You watch the same players can sit out there and heave those up. Like Steph in warm-ups, he can just sit there and hit those consistently. There's a, there's a skill to that. It's not just everyone throwing it wildly. You ever tried to do a half-court shot? That shit is difficult. Like That requires strength and accuracy. And if you're doing it on the run with defenders on you and stuff like that, come on. That is that is straight skill. Is this, okay, the, first thing, is this the first thing we've disagreed about on this podcast? It might be. But when I said luck, I don't mean that all players have the same ability to hit a half-court shots. I'm just saying that it's such a low-percentage shot that if it goes in, that's not. it's just a fluke occurrence. It's not... 
I don't know. I remember seeing Marcus Camby one time hit one that didn't count that he threw from under the opposite basket with like one hand and just turned and chunked it. And then in practice, like everyone was trying to hit it again and no one could could come that close. But still, they were NBA players, so they get closer than the average person, you know, banging it off the backboard and stuff. So I don't know why I told you that story. I just remember it was badass when he when he did that in a game. And it was showed that Marcus Camby was very skilled and had very much strength. Okay. Can we get back to the LeBron <laughs> in the finals? This is silly. Uh, okay, 2011. So this is his first year with the, the big three with the Heat, and they lost to the Mavericks. This was one they should have won. Uh, agree? Yeah, because they went up the two games to none, right? I don't didn't, know if it was two, didn't they win the two first two games? Two to one. I can't remember. I you can't know remember what? Exactly. I'm thinking of the, uh, the first time the Mavericks, or the Mavericks and Heat faced each other. With when, well, it was, right. and, when it was just D-Wade. Yeah, Dallas went up 2-0, and then the Heat came back and won. My fault. Wrong, wrong right. Dallas-Miami series. Right, so at this point, LeBron's 0-2 in the finals. You could say that the one, he clearly was not a favorite, and the other one, he was a favorite and lost. 2012, they won, they beat the Thunder, and the Thunder were arguably, arguably the better team that season, in the regular season at least. Um, 2013, they beat the Spurs. And the Heat were the favorite going into that. 2014, they lost to the Spurs in the finals. And that was just the series where the Spurs were poetry in motion. Yeah. Um, just watching them on offense, it was just like, you know, Popovich is this conductor and he's he's orchestrating this beautiful orchestra. And it was just, just, just the best basketball I think I've ever seen on the offensive end. Beautiful and ass this, beating. And yeah, and I mean, honestly... That year, I think the Heat were 54-28. and 28. The Spurs were clearly the better team at that point. So, I, again, I, I don't really fault him for that one. And then last year, of course, they lost to the Warriors in six. Now, I mean, the, once again, the Warriors clearly better than the, than the Cavs, especially when you consider that Irving gets hurt in game one, right? So he's, he doesn't play almost all of the series, and Love did not play at all in the series. So you're taking their second and third best players off, and they still gave the, the Warriors a heck of a battle in that finals. Yeah. So to me, like the only one where you can say, hey, LeBron was on a team that should have won was 2011 against the Mavericks. You know, every other outcome has kind of been as one would have expected going in, I think. Yeah. So you, again, with the, like we say, with the Thunder and the Warriors, you can't be a, said to have choked away a series if you weren't expected to win it in the first place. So think we both agree skip bayless says some stupid things well and just okay here, but, and but we're, argu- for, we're arguing about what skip bayless said so that's kind of the the point so i guess we've we've fallen into his trap exactly um just real quick in the finals lebron has played 33 games averages 26 points almost 10 rebounds almost seven assists a game <laughs> yes yeah that's good but he's a, but he but he's a choker yeah, he's, he's a, a choker. choker okay so you know let's talk about another guy who also had that reputation of sort of choking in the playoffs, and that was David Robinson. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about David Robinson getting uh, getting beat down by Hakeem, and you know, not really. Yeah, didn't have a whole lot of success until Tim Duncan came along and you know pushed him up the hill. Eh, yeah. No, but okay. So playoffs, they only met in the playoffs one time. So Hakeem and Robinson only played in the playoffs one time, and of course the Rockets. Won four to two, and Akeem was just 
magnificent that series. I mean, he destroyed Robinson. He averaged 35 points, 12.5 rebounds, 5 assists, a little over 4 blocks, and shot 56% from the field. That's pretty good. That's good. <laughs> Dim's good numbers. Yeah, Robinson was not as good. Averaged about 24 points, 11 rebounds, 2 blocks, and shot like 45% from the field. But clearly outplayed by Olajuwon. But that's the only time they met in the playoffs. So on that six-game sample, we're going to say that right, Akeem has this clutch gene and, and Robinson does not. That's the, you know uh, what the record? That's, I was, that? I was sorry, I'll say that's the narrative. That's definitely the, the narrative that came from that. Right. Now, when they played each other in the regular season, though, a little different. So uh, let's get, they played 42 games against each other in the regular season. Robinson actually came out in the winning end more often. What do you think his record was against Olajuwon? Uh, you said 40, 42 games. 42 games. So almost half a season. All right. Over half so let's season. say he won 30 of those games. He did. You got it exactly Oh, my right. God. They I went, just made that up. Is that right? Yes. They went, he went 30 and 12. Oh, my God. I'm psychic. Now, if you take out Duncan, because with Duncan, he went 10 and 0. But if you take out Duncan, he's still 20 and 12 versus Olajuwon. And their numbers were, were really similar. In fact, I, I would say that probably uh, Robinson slightly outplayed Olajuwon in those games. But of course, people were, all people are going to say is, well, those were regular season games, they didn't really count in the playoffs when it mattered, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, again, you're talking about there a 32-game sample before Duncan versus like a six-game sample in one playoff series. Yeah, but I, like you said, that's going to be the – people are going to use what you just said to justify their beliefs that Robinson was a choker because he couldn't do it when it mattered the most when he was the MVP and had home court advantage in the playoffs and and got embarrassed by a lower seeded team that's that's going to be the argument but it's like you said in a six game sample it's hard to define someone by by just that if we if we if Elijah Wan and Robinson had met in five or six different playoff series and the same thing happened you could you could make that argument but I don't know so if if that's not choking if the Thunder aren't choking, what is to you? Is there, is there any examples that you, Justin Kabatko, self-professed choking hater, or the term choking hater, would say, yeah, this guy choked or this team choked? What, what about the first-seeded Mavs losing to the Warriors in I, I was just going to say that one, yeah. The 67-15 and 15 Mavericks going down in the first round of the playoffs to the Warriors. That, that was... If that's not choking, that, what is? That, well, I mean, again, it, that should not have happened. That absolutely should not have happened. I, I don't know. I can't. You know, I'm not going to make any excuses for. I mean, there's, there's nothing you can say. There's, there's no way you can make. No one was making an argument before that series that hey, the Warriors have a real shot here at beating the Mavericks. No one really thought that. Yeah, but then the Mavericks turn around and eventually overcome that. So. Someone, a team can choke or a player can choke in a certain situation, but that doesn't necessarily make them a choker or brand them a choker because, like you said, in a seven-game series, anything can happen. But when you look over the course of a player's career or a team's era, the argument can be substantially different. Well, you know, so another famous example is John Starks, right? Game seven of the, um, what was that? When they played the Knicks, was that 95? John, when, who, when John Starks was on the Knicks. Right, yeah, but when they played the, uh, the Rockets in the finals, was that 94 or 95? Oh, I think yeah. it was 94, actually. Yeah, and he just, he just went ice cold. 
Well, so what happened? Yeah, game seven, Starks was two for 18 from the floor and zero for 11 from three-point range in that game. And, of course, the, the Knicks, for lack of a better word, choked away a 3-2 series lead and lost the series four games to three. What and people don't Knicks, remember was that Starks had a really good game in game six when the Knicks could have put away the series and lost a close game. So, And that the Knicks in that same playoff run were accused of the most one of the most infamous accusations of choking in NBA history when Reggie Miller turned to Spike Lee and held his hands up to his throat saying that the Knicks choked away the Eastern Conference Finals in that fourth quarter and then spoiler alert the Knicks went on to to win the series so Reggie Reggie might have been a little premature on his uh, on his choking symbol but anyway you know, and another guy that has had a reputation for choking and was on a team that you were affiliated with at one time, Tracy McGrady. Yeah, we talked a lot about T-Mac in a previous episode as to whether or not he was a Hall of Famer. And didn't we come out saying that even though he lost a lot of playoff series, it wasn't because of his lack of effort, right? His numbers were great in the playoffs. Right. I mean, they, they were very good. They were actually on par, perhaps slightly better than they were during the regular season. And I went back and looked up. So I looked up, you know, so you had like, what, um, seven years there where Grady was like the number one or number two player on his team. And they lost in the first round, right? Because there's that, everybody knows that famous story about McGrady never getting past the first round. And then the one year the Rockets did get past the first round, McGrady was hurt and didn't play at all. Um, so, but I went back and looked. So going to starting in 2000, his teams were a six seed, a seven seed, a five seed, an eight seed, a five seed, a five seed, and a five seed. So yeah. really, based on expect? the se- based on the seeds, they should not have been favored in any of those series. Now, in a couple of those series, they did have home court advantage because of that wacky thing the NBA did where they would make sure the division winners got within the top four, but they would give home court advantage to whoever had the better record. So in a couple of those series, they were yeah, a five so seed dumb. and had, had home court had home court advantage, but I mean, yeah, they were never higher than a, a five seed in any of those series. And like, for example, um, you know, like he, he'll get blamed, but then just looking at it, it's like, okay, which of those series should they have absolutely won, but didn't? And there's none of them. Yeah. It's another you're talking about is say it's another situation of, you know, reputation actually you know, defining someone rather than the the facts or the evidence that that's actually there. Right, and his play, like we were talking about his play. So here's some numbers to put to put on that. Regular season, he averages 19.6 points, 5.6 rebounds, 4.4 assists per game, and has a true true shooting percentage of 51.9 percent. Those are good numbers in the playoffs. 22.2. That's higher uh, points. 5.7 rebounds. That's higher. Five assists, five assists. That's higher, and a fifty-one point two true shooting percentage, which is slightly less than the regular season average. So I mean, like, you know, he's there, there's nothing in the numbers that suggests that he's incapable of playing in the playoffs like he did in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. It's just that reputation, and that it comes from talking heads. It comes from just opinions that don't mean a whole lot, and. So on that note, let's get away from opinions, and I want unless you have some more examples you want to go over, I want to kind of move into the science of choking. 
Which, science, okay. Yeah, so I looked up. There's a surprisingly amount of scientific evidence and studies into choking, specifically choking in sports. So when we, when we ask what happens when a player is choking, there are people that have actually studied the brain waves and what's going on in there to, to figure it out. Um, I'm not going to get too bogged down in, you know, just reciting different studies, which if you watch John Oliver's show, you've already learned to be skeptical for, of any scientific study that, that is out there. But there was this University of Chicago psychologist named Cian, Cian Belock. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Who studied, how, who studied how the brain works in athletes when they're at their best and when they choke under pressure and uh, came up with you know, the hypothesis that ex- external pressures and worries can lead to paralysis by analysis, meaning you're literally overthinking everything and cross- closely scrutinizing movements and activity that should just come automatically. And so what they discovered, which we may be losing a lot of our audience here, but I find this fascinating is that in these high-pressure situations, the prefrontal cortex of the brain stops working the way that it should, that it has this processing power known as working memory that's like critical to everyday activities, right? So when you go to do the dishes, you don't have to sit there and contemplate how to put soap on a sponge and what water to use. Like, it just, you've done it, it's already there, and you just kind of kick into auto-drive. But when stress compounds, like in a situation like, you know, this is very much valid with individual sports like golf or something. You think of Jordan Spieth or Rory McIlroy like collapsing in the Masters when they're on the 18th hole or whatever. You have these the stress of knowing like the pressure, like this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna win it. I gotta I gotta keep it together. Damn it! And when that stress compounds, your working memory becomes overburdened, and instead of your muscles just bypassing the prefrontal frontal cortex like it normally does attention shifts to the awareness and you can't do things that you should be doing just out of you know regular consciousness so like you literally overthink it and that's they've done the research to to figure this out and hers was uh cn i think that's a woman's name For, please forgive me dr <laughs> dr b lock by lock um but this was even back into the, the 80s by another psychologist named uh, Roy Baumeister, um, who did a series of experiments with people playing a handheld game that involved guiding a ball along a track and uh, to where it falls into a particular hole. And then people would do well until they were offered money for good results or if they had an audience watching them, then their performance diminished. You know, so there's actual evidence out there for the the so-called choking okay okay but this one where all of a sudden you have an audience and your your um performance goes down decreases these are but i mean are these professional athletes you know i mean like if you're a professional athlete you're used to having people watch you you know i mean so i can see how someone who like sits in an office all day and nobody pays attention to them and then all of a sudden somebody's watching them do something i can understand how it make them nervous right but I don't think that necessarily applies to a professional athlete who has been doing this for years and years and years and years. You know, having a bunch of people watch them, that should be normal, right? I mean, that, that should be... Yeah, but I guess that's the thing that having a bunch of people watch you is normal, you know, for a Tuesday night game in Minnesota or something like that. But having, 
game seven on you know everything on the line where all eyes are on you and this is the biggest moment of your career i would think that that's different in that they're human and they're going to be susceptible to the same kind of things but uh to kind of this kind of onto what you're where you're getting with this i think there's other studies that have found correlation between um people who tested to be more self-conscious and have more of a feel of fear of failure and disappointing others correlating to low performance in high pressure situations and then the people who don't really care what people think tended to do better in high pressure situations and there was one name when i was reading about that there was one name that came to my mind well two kind of that came to my mind in the basketball world i was thinking who's a guy who doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks and never seemed to fade under pressure and i was like oh kobe bryant kobe and then kind of mj in a little bit they didn't seem they didn't the seem first, to, don't, those two aren't even comparable i hate i'm just saying i'm just saying guys between those two i'm just saying guys that didn't seem to care whatsoever about what the outside world thought of them like guys that were just kind of assholes and were able to just rise above those types of situations. I don't know. You may, you may not find this as interesting as I did, but there is there is something to it to be able to say, you know, why, how a golfer can overthink things. And I remember. No. In, go ahead. No, I was just. I mean, I think I said earlier. I do believe there are probably cases where a player lets his mind take over in a way such that it affects his performance. Right. My my only point was that we have no way no way to identify those situations. Yeah. You know, Steph makes ninety percent of his free throws. Well, if he misses one at the end of a game, let's say game one of the finals comes down in the last seconds and Steph misses a huge free throw, was that because he was overcome by the situation, or is it just because he's going to miss one out of every ten? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, see, and this is a a question that you're not prepared to answer, probably. But I mean. Is there a certain, what's the statute of limitations or what's the, what, that's not the right phrase. Like what's the, the absolute minimum for something being a pattern before you can say, before you can say, oh, well, this person, it wasn't just a random variance. Like, oh, this guy has a history of doing this or this group or this team has a history of folding under pressure. Is it? Or is that even a thing because it's always different situations and different external stimuli? I mean, I don't want to comment on it just because I never really looked deep into the issue. Yeah. <laughs> make, how's that, how's well, that for an evasive non-answer? Make it up off the top of your head. I mean, that's never stopped me in these podcasts. Just let's go go with your gut. What does your gut say? Uh, I'm looking not, off the top of your head is what got you in trouble in the first place. So Why do you always... You do don't that, have man. to bring this up like oh, every I, I, podcast. I gotta, I, that, that, that's such a... Uh, that has to be brought up in every podcast. Anyway, anyway, all right, you're, <laughs> you're an ass. But I do remember. So I remember speaking of being with the Rockets, watching Dwight Howard in practice, and after practice, they would all do their shooting drills, and Dwight would sit there and shoot free throws, and he would hit them like he would hit eight out of ten, nine out of ten, every time. And then whenever it got into the game and you, you saw him just fall apart from the free throw line. And so we, that's, we always talked about when or everyone says, and we would confirm, yeah, it's just, it's in his head. Like he gets on that, gets on the free throw line and knows that he's had 
past problems, so therefore overthinking it and bang, 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 throwing it off the the back of the iron. So I do think I I didn't I wouldn't have brought up all these scientific things that I've found if I didn't think that there was something to it that there are people whenever the pressure's on they it overcomes them and they can't think no. and they can't just rely on that natural muscle memory like they would in a normal situation and I then there are some agree. people to where I, I do not disagree the, at all. yeah the pressure my just only, doesn't get to them I don't disagree at all my only beef is that we have no way no way to identify these guys no way that's true that's true I'll give you that so maybe to kind of start wrapping this up wrapping this discussion up that's when we say that someone choked or that they're a choker I mean is that to you is that just a meaningless phrase is is there is there any way to quantify this is there any way to prove that someone is a choker or is it just internet bullshit that people say without any thought behind it i mean i think it's fine for people to say someone choked but i i I, you can use it in different ways right if you're just talking about a situation where someone who would normally do something and fails to do it if that's what you mean by choking okay if you mean that they were somehow overcome um by the pressure of the situation they had a mental or physical breakdown that's where i kind of you kind of lose me so i i can i agree that there are situations that you can describe as a player doing something that resembled choking but i really hate to label a player a choker just because of something that may have happened just because random stuff happens yeah and here's here's my problem with you and how you're ruining this podcast with your thoughtful nuanced answers that's why skip bayless makes the big bucks because you just you just get a hot take and you go with it and you're thinking these things through and presenting things as you know gray instead of black and white extremes but but yeah. you make a good point right i mean like yeah it would be like who knows skip bayless maybe he really does understand the concept of random variation but that's not going to sell, right? That's not going to. That's not going to get people to watch you. So you got to. No up one's with ever these... said. No one's ever said that phrase. By the way, you know, Skip, Skip Bayless. He does understand the concept of random variation. <laughs> no, but I mean, right? That's that's. You're right. It's not gonna. It's not gonna sell magazines. It's not magazines. What am I like? I'm 70 years you old. You are so it's not, old. You know, it's it's not gonna get people to read your blog. It's not gonna get people to tune in. It's not gonna get people to listen to your radio show. You know, I mean. They want extreme opinions. They want bombast. They want these outrageous opinions that can't be backed up by fact. You know, I mean, it just doesn't sell. It's not sexy. That's true. And I and I tend to agree with you, for the most part, on that. That you, there is no way of knowing, and labeling someone like that is more just for your own benefit or to your own like get your anger out of your system or whatever whatever your self motivation is rather than a diagnosis of the truth of another person that you can't possibly have any insight into. But I can contradict myself right now and say that I do think out of the world of professional sports in recent memory, there's one there's one moment that I would say is the biggest like sports choke that I can think of. And there's no there's no other explanation for it other than oh, wait, let me, lots let me guess. of, lots of brain lots of brains 
just stopped working in a high pressure situation and it was one of the dumbest moments in professional sports in my recent lifetime it's not basketball it's not basketball is it football it is football seahawks passing the ball on the the one yard seahawks passing it on the one yard line of the super bowl when you have the most unstoppable running back yeah that explain that to me in a way that isn't uh what's his name's brain just stopped working Pete Carroll, yeah, Russell Pete Wilson. Carroll, Pete and, Carroll. And, and, like, tell me, tell me that Pete Carroll's brain did not just stop working in that situation. Oh gosh, we could have a whole podcast about that play. That's we can do that in a Stat Muse NFL coming, hopefully before the start of the season. We are working on it for anyone who's who's curious about that. But anyway, yeah. See, to, do you have a moment that like I think that's one of the biggest choke moments. In, in my lifetime for sports. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Um, if I can put you on the spot. If you need some time to think, we'll cut the uh, we'll cut the pause out so it sounds like it came right off your head. This is kind of obscure, but th- so there was one year at the British Open, there was a Frenchman named Jan Vandeveld. Do you remember this? Like he- so I actually, I have this in my notes, but we didn't get to it. Yeah, 1999 British Open led by three on the 18th hole. Right, and, and he, ju- he just made a mess of the 18th hole. I mean, triple bogeyed it. Yeah, and, and then he lost in a playoff, right? I believe he lost in a playoff. Um, and then, of course, Mickelson at the U.S. Open the one year where he it appeared to have the tournament won, and I forget which hole it was, but he, he made an absolute mess of the hole and ended up losing. Yeah. Golf, like you said, like sort of the individual sports, I think, are... You, you tend to remember those moments a little more, I think, because it's just the one guy or girl. And yeah, you can't blame anyone but yourself, and it's just you and your thoughts. Exactly. Anyway, all right, so I think we've come to the conclusion that there really is no way to quantify choking. Am I correct on that? Is that is that our ultimate conclusion on this episode, that... Choking is a phrase that's used way too often in situations that it does, isn't necessarily the correct description. Yeah, I would say it probably exists, but we have no way, no way to identify what is actual choking and what is actual just performance variation that you would normally expect. Yep, but you can't say that in 140 characters or less, so I doubt we're going to change the conversation around that and whoever whichever team between the warriors or the Cavs loses the finals because one team has to lose that team will be declared as a choker and they probably won't deserve it so all of that let's put this to a close thank you for listening please check our blog at blog.statnews.com we're going to put some stats that we talked about on there that you can go through also if you've uh, downloaded this on itunes or soundcloud or one of those other places check out our blog because uh, we also have the audio there for you to listen to thank you so much for tuning in i'm chad shanks he's justin kabatko and this was another episode of stat stories